Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. And I really did feel that it was a word for some of you today about the the love of God. And I want to encourage you as you go from here today, don't forget those moments. There's something powerful about what can take place when we gather here together. And what I don't want to see happen is us walk out the door and forget about everything that took place. Forget about what God did in our lives and our hearts. But to remember, it's one of the reasons I take notes. I always have my phone and some of you might think I'm reading the news because I'm switched off at what's happening in worship and that, but I'm often writing things down. I'm making notes of what God's speaking to me in a moment or or revelation I've had. Sometimes when we're singing songs, I I start getting this this insight or a revelation in in my spirit that's for me, it might be for us sometimes. And I write those things down so that I don't forget because I'll leave here and I'll go home and I'll have lunch and I'll fall asleep watching sport this afternoon. And those things can just go. I want to encourage you, be someone who writes it down. I can look back of years of things that, that God has been speaking to me about. Have you ever finished one season of your life and felt like things began to fall apart? <laughs> There's enough murmurs that at least a few of you are with me this morning. See, in life, there are so many transition points. Some of our transition points are quite small. Some of them are quite large. We, we can experience some really big moments of transition in our world. And for some of you sitting in the room, you've just finished school, which is awesome. Exams coming, and for some, it, it, it's like you're done. You, you've finished one moment, one season of enduring way longer than you ever wanted to. And you move on to another there's some people in our congregation getting married in the next year. And, and, and those are some significant transition points. Maybe it's finishing one job and starting another or having children. There are these moments in our lives where we transition. And if we see our life kind of like a highway, just go with the, the image for a moment. Our life is like this highway. And, and there are these transition moments where we, we go down an off-ramp. And we're off the highway and often... We, we can get back onto the highway quite quickly, but sometimes it doesn't happen like that. Sometimes we get off one ramp and we're looking to get on the next one and it seems like it doesn't happen. And life, it's like for everyone else, is carrying on and we're stuck changing our tyre on the side of the road, wondering when we're going to get out of this transition, the season we're in, and into the next one. I've had a few of those in, in my life and some of this I'll have shared before on it. This morning, just talk about quickly two transition moments for me. One was when I was finishing up as the, the youth associate pastor at a, a church in, in Christchurch in New Zealand. And, and my, my time, my season there had come to an end and I, I finished, but I was staying in the church. I was moving on to, to other things outside of the church world. And, and I began to uh, go through this awful moment. Now, I'd been pastor, I'd been an elder in the church, I'd, I'd been part and parcel of everything that happened and, and one week I was there preaching as a pastor and the next week I'm no longer a pastor, I'm still sitting on the front row in the same seat as I was in and I found something happened inside me. 
started getting really grumpy. It's like I didn't like the preaching anymore. I didn't like the worship. I thought that worship leader was awful. Why would you choose those songs? I didn't even like your shoes. I became this really critical person and I hated it about myself. I really was unhappy. It's like, where does this all come from? How can I go from one week being an elder and pastor in the church to the next week sitting in the front row being critical of everything? And if after a, a few weeks of this, I realised I'd become the person in church that I kind of liked the least, I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I went and sat down with my pastor and I just explained to him what was going on. I said, this is what I'm feeling. And, and he said, Dave, what's happened is you're in a transition time. You've gone going from one season to another. And at the moment, you're in a desert season. And he said, I'm not going to make it easy for you. It'd be real easy for me to give you a quick way out of this this morning and, and, and look, put you back on the preaching roster straight away and get you doing stuff again. He said, I'm not going to do that because in the desert season, God wants to teach you some things. And as I had stepped down in faith, finishing up a great job and moving into running my own business and a whole lot of unknown, it's like the whole world fell out around me. All these things that I thought I had in place began to crumble. Like, and I so I'm praying and I'm trusting God and I'm stepping out in faith and it's like the heavens were brass and God wasn't speaking to me. It's like, God, but I, I, I went where I felt you told me to go and I'm doing what I felt you tell me to do and where are you? I felt alone. It was awful. Second time I experienced something like that, I was on staff at another church in Nelson and I, I moved over here to Sydney with the family and and we'd come with a really set plan of, of what was going to happen while, when we arrived. And, and again, we're in this transition and the, the, the bottom fell out of everything. The things that I thought were going to happen when we arrived in Sydney didn't happen. And we went through this period that felt like it was about two years before I began this journey with this church here. And it was like, again, the heavens were brass. I, was, I had a, a 45 minute to an hour drive to work every day and I was praying all the way there and all the way back and I just didn't feel God speaking to me. I felt nothing. I was like, what is going on? I, I'm, I'm as dry as I've ever been. I feel like there's, there's nothing happening for me spiritually at all. I'm going to church, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm doing all the right things and it feels awful. You ever felt like that? It's like, God, where are you? Where did you go? <laughs> They're really hard seasons of our lives. But we can learn a whole lot in those seasons, in those transition moments. I remember a pastor friend sharing a message around some of this idea and, and he said, spiritually, we often have these moments where we get off the ramp in these transition points and he says for some people they never ever get back on spiritually they never get back on the, the, there's a change of circumstance and I'm, I'm working on a Sunday now and so I can't go to church and, and, and eventually they, they're not working on a Sunday anymore but they never set foot back in a church again or there's these moments that happen and the, a pain in the journey and, and somewhere along the way we step out and we never step back in My message is carrying on from last week where I talked about lessons from the desert. If you were not here last week, I, I talked about the fact as a church we've had a really significant uh, vote a, a couple of weeks ago about selling this property and beginning to investigate what the next step looks like for us. And 
And while we've got a couple of years to work out where we're going and what's happening and what all that looks like, we're in a transition season. And I started, as I I do when I'm journeying through things, I started looking at what stories in the Bible, what things are there that I can learn from. And I started reading this journey of the people leaving Egypt where they've been slaves and Moses leading them through the desert, through the Red Sea and eventually to the Promised Land, a journey that could have taken 40 days but ended up taking 40 years. And while there's some personal application things in here, there's some corporate things for us as well. So let me recap quickly some of the points from last week if you weren't here. God met them firstly where they were at in his perfect timing. So I said they've been slaves for 400 years. And it was at the moment that God decided to, to do something about it. His timing was right. He could have acted any time leading up to that. And last week I said, God's timing is perfect. He's never late. He just misses a lot of good opportunities to be early. Second thing I spoke about last week is that the the way to the promised land is never easy, but it is worth it. God had promised his people that it would be a land full of blessing, flowing with milk and honey was the language that the Bible used. It would be worth fighting for, it'd be worth going the distance, but the way to the promised land was going to stretch their faith. It was going to cause them to grow and learn and develop as people, as a nation, and their understanding of who God is and all of that. And I said, God is not just interested in our destination. God is interested in our journey. Third thing I said is that God will make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. God parted the Red Sea. God will lead us day and night. There was a, a cloud that went through the day that provided relief from the heat and cover as the presence of God. And at night, that cloud became a pillar of fire that provided warmth and light for the, for the people of God. He led them constantly in this journey. They went where God showed them to go. Not only was he leading, but he was providing for them. That's what I shared last week and I've got a few more thoughts on this journey today. First one is that God fights on behalf of his people. Exodus chapter 14 verse 19 says, Then the angel of the Lord withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. So what's happened in this part of the journey is they've, they've begin, begun to cross the desert and they've arrived at the, the Red Sea and they've got the, the Pharaoh and his army chasing behind them, pursuing them, and they can begin to see this army coming and they're stuck with the sea in front of them and an army behind them and nowhere to go and no hope. And then the presence of God that had been leading them moves to behind them and begins to fight on their behalf or protect them. And, and what happens is there's this cloud goes and there, there's a, 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 an obscuring of what's happening. And during the night, God parts the Red Sea and the people of Israel begin to cross. And as they cross through the sea, the Pharaoh and his armies eventually see what's happening and they begin pursuit. We know the story, the people of Israel get through and Pharaoh's armies get destroyed. Exodus chapter 17 tells us of a a battle between Israel and the Amalekites. The Amalekites in the Bible are one of the traditional armies of Israel. They're at conflict regularly throughout 
the, the scriptures. And, and see, Moses in this story is, is standing on a hill look overseeing the battle. And I've spoken on, on this passage before. And so there's this, this valley and the, and the two sides are fighting. And while Moses is standing there, <coughs> he raises his arms. And while his arms are raised, Israel are winning the battle. And when Moses lowers his arms, the Amalekites are winning the battle. So it's quite clear what Moses needs to do. Moses needs to keep his hands raised all day long. Now, I don't know if you've tried that, but, but I, I played soccer for a lot of years. My shoulders are wrecked as a, from goalkeeping. I can't keep my hands up for more than about five minutes. I'd never be able to have a job as a painter anymore. I can't, just can't do it. Bad enough hanging up the washing. And so he's standing there. And you can imagine as the day's gone on, he's holding a staff as his arms would get tired. And two men, Aaron and Hur, two of his most significant people and then this journey with Moses here are standing there. And one on each side, and they're holding his arms up. See, God can give us victory and power when it doesn't make sense. After the battle Israel won, as Moses' hands were raised, God gave his people a great victory that day. Moses created an altar and he said these words in Exodus 17, 15, 16. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, he said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. This particular story is a message in its own right, and I don't have time to unpack it all today. But here's a couple of quick points. Hands raised to heaven represent a posture of worship. As Moses was raising his hands towards heaven, as he was lifting them towards God, they were winning the battle and all that we do in, in our, our desert season and our transition times in your life and as a church, we must come with a posture of worship. We must be people who worship God, who lift hands towards heaven. When you're struggling with a season in your life, when you're doing it tough, and some of you in this room I know are doing it tough, when you're in that season and you're struggling, why not worship your way through it? Why not come with a heart of worship? And it may just change everything. At the very least, it'll change your perspective. It can change your heart, even if it doesn't change the circumstances necessarily. We come with a posture of worship. It also says, another insight I had there was that Aaron and Hur supported the work of Moses. They weren't the leaders, but without them, the battle would have been lost. Moses was not capable of doing what needed to be done on his own. He needed help. We all have a role to play in this season. Some will be the soldiers fighting the war on the ground. Some will be called in worship and prayer. Some will be there to help the leaders to hold the hands up. The challenge is to recognise the part that we must play. The role that might be for us in a given moment. It's also... A warning to me as a pastor, if we're going to be transparent today, that I can't try and do all this on my own. I can't lead this church on my own. I know that. Always know that. It can't happen. I'm not that good. We need people. We need others lifting our hands up. We need others fighting the battle. We need a team to make it work. It's almost a cliche now, but I do quite like the quote, teamwork makes the dream work. So the personal application for you today is when you're struggling, 
Don't do it alone. Don't try and fight the battle on your own. Don't be Moses and try and hold your own hands up all the time. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to call other people of faith around you and stand with you and support you when you can't lift your own hands, when you can't do it on your own. It's okay to reach out, but we're so slow asking for help. Sometimes I think we just need to get over ourselves, get over our pride and ask for help early rather than later. It's okay to not do this journey alone. One of the reasons that as a church we look to put teams together and engage others in this journey is a simple one. The next five years of my life as pastor in this church can't be about property and building a building and all of that. I've still got a church to lead. Still got all these other things that that have to take place in the life of our church and, and, and the community. And as a pastor, I've got a role to play in all that but I've also got a church to lead. Selling this property hasn't eased my workload. If anything, it's probably doubled it. But let's not lose sight of the lessons from this passage. We rise and fall together. Israelites were fighting. The battle wouldn't have been won without them. Aaron and Hur were standing beside Moses. The battle wouldn't have been won without them. Moses is there, hands raised to heaven. The battle wouldn't have been won without him. It was all of the team working together. God had sent his angels to fight on behalf of Israel. He himself will fight for us. He will guard us. That's how much he loves us and desires to set his protection over us. He hemmed them in from all sides. He will keep us under his care. It doesn't mean we won't face battles. Israel fought battles the whole way. But they overcame and they overcame and they overcame. The very start of the desert journey, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14 says these words, the Lord will fight for you. This is God declaring. You only need Be still. That command reminds me of Psalm 46.10, which says, be still and know that I am God. Now, often we we view that particular passage as as a call to prayer and worship, just just silence. We've just got to stop and we've we've got to pray. But when you look at the, the language in the Hebrew and what was intended in that passage, that word still means to cease or desist. And, and the concept is two sides are at war. They're battling each other. They're fighting. And the command is be still. Stop fighting. Stop striving. Stop all that and just be still. While... That sense of prayer and worship is helpful in every setting. Sometimes we've got to stop trying to do it in our own strength. We've got to do it in God's strength and stop striving and stop fighting and stop pushing the, the, the envelope in so many ways and just be still and let God do what God wants to do. That's not just a principle in this journey as a church, it's a principle for your life. Don't strive and struggle and fight to do it on your own. Be still and know that He is God. The next thought is that God 
provides in practical, uh, sorry, miraculous ways. Exodus 16, 4, then the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Exodus 17, 6, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. They're in a desert. There isn't a lot of food in a desert. There isn't a lot of water in a desert. And God did miracle after miracle. They were hungry and God sent manna from heaven. They were thirsty and God sent, God sent water gushing from a rock. Every day a miracle was happening before their eyes. They just had to pick up the manna and eat. They just had to drink the water to accept the blessing of God. Another time, the, the waters that they arrived at were bitter. They, they weren't good for drinking and, and, and simply touching with the staff. The waters that were bitter but turned to sweet. They were nourishing and they were satisfied. Just like Israel had to look to God every single day for their provision, we too must know what it is to look to God every single day. See, they couldn't store up the food, whatever mana was left over, it's like a bread thing, whatever was left over at the end of the day was rubbish by the next day, it was unedible. Every day the miracle had to be new. God supplied their needs day after day. It showed a couple of lessons I learned from the provision of mana, it showed a continued dependence on God. Israelites were a travelling people. They were reliant on, on finding grazing for their, their cattle and, and the sheep and goat, whatever they had with them. The animals, they, they would go from place to place trying to look after these th- people where they couldn't set up roots and they couldn't plant crops and do all that. And the day would come when they could begin to store food again and, and fill the barns with grain and all of that. But at the moment, in this journey, they were reliant on God and had to continue to be reliant on God. And that's the kind of life that I would love us as a church to live, the kind of life I'd love you as an individual to live, to learn what it is to be dependent on God every single day, to look to Him for provision in your life every single day. What does dependence on God mean for you? What areas of your life are you asking for God's help? You know, one of the reasons the gospel message has lost its penetration in the Western world is that life got comfortable. Most people had enough money. We've got food in our bellies. We've got houses that we can go to. We've got clothes on our back. And we stopped needing to be reliant on God every day of our lives just to get through. And it's the reason in the developing world that the gospel has an incredible penetration because they are reliant on God. So many of them are living hand to mouth. If they don't get a provision for that day, they don't eat. It's the reason we see miracles in Nepal that we don't see in Australia because they're desperate. We've lost that. We've lost that dependence on God because you know what? You can depend on yourself. You can, in many ways, depend on the government. We live in a blessed nation and I'm so thankful for all that is provided to us and all the the comforts we have. But in the midst of all of that, we've lost dependence on God and I don't think that's a good thing. And that's why it's not always a negative in your life when bad things happen when problems happen and there's bills that can't be paid or you're struggling with some things because that builds a dependence on God that we don't have otherwise. We need to be people that know what it is to depend on God. Another thing I learnt is not to hold on to good things too long. They couldn't pack the manna away for the next day. They, they had to 
go every single day. And, and, and many of us can face the temptation that we just like things the way they are. We get resistant to change, but sometimes holding on to things instead of letting go, those things can turn very sour. Sometimes it's right to move on at work. Sometimes it's right as a, a church ministry to move on. The fact that we've always done something doesn't mean that we should always do that thing. Pilgrim Father John Robinson, who was on the Mayflower voyage, said, The Lord has more truth in life yet to break forth out of his holy word. You realise I didn't know everything that there was to know. I hadn't solved all the problems yet. And change is hard, but it's also inevitable. Those things that we hold on to so dearly, they were new things once. There's a pastor that I, I follow and, and read a lot, all his books, and it's a guy by the name of Andy Stanley, and he's a bit of a leadership guru apart from leading a very large church. He speaks a lot about systems and processes and management and, and how to go about kind of the governance parts of the church world. And, and he has some, some really interesting things to say about systems and processes. He said, every process that we run, every system that we have was designed at some point to solve a problem. We've solved the problem by creating a roster or changing a system or putting a policy in place. We solve that problem and eventually that's not a problem anymore. But we, if we hold on to it for long enough, we've got these systems and procedures and ways of doing things that are now irrelevant because that problem no longer exists. And you may have heard me say this particular quote before, and I, I, I love it from Andy Stanley. He says, marry the mission, date the model. In other words, love God, love people. We do that. We're committed to that. We're sold out to that. The, the, those are two of the pillars of this church that they're what we're about. But the way we go about those things can, will, and should change from time to time. Because the world around us is not static. Culture is changing. What area in your world do you need to make a change in? What way of doing things no longer serves you? Let me give you an example. It's no secret you've been around here for a while. I love soccer. Played or coached soccer since I was five years of age. When I was playing competitive soccer in my last few seasons back in New Zealand, it was busy. We were training multiple times a week. The Saturdays as a whole day would show up for the reserve team, have the first team game in my last year. Every second week we're on a plane flying to another city to play a game. It was busy and it was, it was a lot involved. And, and during that time I was fit and healthy and I could eat whatever I wanted. And I did because I burnt off so many calories during the week. It was awesome. And then I stopped playing soccer and I kept eating whatever I wanted. And it didn't work out so well for me. Sometimes circumstances change and we need to make a change. Sometimes transitions happen and moments and seasons pass and it's a new day and we need to find a new way of doing things. What has changed in your world that perhaps you need to respond to? Finally, the... the final thought I, I had from about the manna is it's actually foreshadowing what it calls the true bread of heaven. Jesus 
referred to manna in his address to the people in John chapter 6. So he's talking to the people gathered. And he said, The true bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That is himself. He's talking about himself. He says, I am the true bread of heaven. While God was providing miraculously in the desert, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come through Jesus Christ. That their needs were met when they ate the bread of heaven. And if we eat the bread of heaven, we will hunger no more. In a spiritual sense, that's what Jesus is communicating to them. He says in verse 50, John chapter 6, But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Church, I don't know where you're at with Jesus today. I don't know what your journey is in that. I don't know if you're, you were born with hands raised, praying and worshipping to God. You've been in church your whole life or this is the first time you've ever set foot in a church and thought about it this morning. We're all somewhere in this journey. Some of us are early in the journey. Some of us are further on in the journey. It's almost irrelevant because you're on the journey somewhere. What have you done with Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he a good man? Is he a great teacher? Is he a guy that had some incredible insights and gave us some good holidays? Is he the son of God? Is he the saviour of the world? I want to ask you this morning, maybe you haven't thought about where you're at with Jesus and what relationship with him for you might look like. I want to encourage you to think about it today. Think about where you're at with him. Is he the commander in chief of your life, the Lord and Saviour? Have you asked and invited him to be part of your world? Have you repented or said sorry for the sin in your life and asked God to, to forgive you of your sin? The Bible says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. I want to ask you if you've ever done that this morning. If you just close your eyes for me in this moment, again, I just only for privacy's sake, I haven't quite finished preaching yet. I just want to pause in this moment and I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you forward or point you out. I just want to ask you, where are you at with Jesus today? Maybe in this place you're saying, you know what? I need to place my life in his hands. Maybe you've never, ever done it before. Maybe you've done it in the past, but you haven't been living for him. I just want to provide an opportunity for you today to acknowledge for yourself, Jesus, I need you and I want you and I want to live my life for you. If that's you today, I just want to pray for you at a moment from stage, no embarrassment, but just raise your hand, wave at me so I know who to include in that prayer this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Any others this morning as I look around? Thank you, thank you. You know, the Bible says... If we repent, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we acknowledge the sin in our lives, as we acknowledge that we need our Saviour, we need a Saviour, we need Jesus Christ, we have access 
to the forgiveness, the salvation of heaven. And God, I thank you for each hand raised today. God, I thank you for hearts that are open to to you in this moment, some for the first time, some for the hundredth time. God, we acknowledge our need for you today. God, I pray that they will encounter you in a fresh way, not just today, but every day. But God, they will seek heaven for that manner every day. God, see your miraculous provision. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Amen. Final thought this morning. In fact, worship team, you can come join me. Just relax for a minute and we'll, we'll get into it in a minute. My final thought is that I've just been talking about sin, but sin will always take us further than we want to go. In Exodus 32, 9, towards the end of this journey, it says, I've, this is what the Lord says to Moses. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. <laughs> They've resisted. They're grumbling, complaining, hearts that are far away from God. It was so common for the people of Israel, even though God was doing miracle after miracle, miracle to be grumbling and complaining and, and, and not falling in love with God like we might expect them to when they're in the middle of this miraculous season. They, all they saw was problems and they lost sight of how far sin could carry them down the road that they didn't want to go. And God had mercy for them over and over again through all the years in the desert. In Exodus 32, we, there's a really interesting story. Moses is up the mountain, Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments. He's up there in the presence of God and all of this is happening that is inscribed on. And down the mountain comes Moses. And the people of Israel are down there and they've built a golden calf and they're worshipping an idol. Moses is up meeting with God, getting the Ten Commandments. They've created themselves an idol and they're bowing down and worshipping to it. Moses has been gone just in their mind a little bit too long. We've got to do something about this. Let's make a God for ourselves. How could that be? How could they have gone from miracle after miracle after miracle to turning their back on God? It's because they started down this road of complaining and grumbling and hearts being hardened to what God was really doing. How often and how easily we forget that what starts as grumbling and complaining and hearts going astray leads us down pathways we wish we'd never entered into. Sin gets a hold of our hearts and our minds. It's like a disease that we can't shake off on our own. But God, in His mercy, forgives And He sets us free. He redeems us from the pit that far too many have wandered into and have been stuck in. He lifts us out and He places our feet on solid ground. He gives us fresh purpose and fresh hope. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org